0: I'm so thankful and excited to uh, be able to open the Word of God with you today. Uh, Thankful for Josh for giving me a chance to preach, a chance to continue uh, the series in Romans that we have been going through. Uh, So, if you want to take your Bibles, uh, you can open to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to be at the end of chapter 1 today, uh, but let's review a little bit where we've come from, then we'll get into my passage. These first two weeks, Josh has been talking all about it. We've been talking about the gospel. The whole book of Romans is about the gospel. Very first verse, verse 1, Paul says he's a slave of Christ, called as an apostle, having been set apart for the gospel of God. This book is about the gospel, and Paul is simply a herald of it. He's talking to those in Rome, uh, the church in Rome, verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, to the believers in Rome. But he's hindered from going to Rome. Uh, We talked about that last week. He can't go there. He wanted to go to these people, but he was held up from going. Uh, But then Paul starts to talk about his relationship with the gospel. Last week, Josh talked about uh, three main points, verses 15, 16, and 17. One, the power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to bring about salvation. If you believe in the gospel you will be saved. Number two, the scope of the gospel. It's for all believers. Anyone who believes can be saved. And number three, the message of the gospel. What does the gospel reveal? It reveals the righteousness of God. Uh, So the thesis of this whole section, this whole book actually, is that the righteousness of God is acquired by faith. Verse 17, because this leads us right into my section today. Verse 17, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed talking about the gospel, from faith to faith, meaning by faith alone. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You see that elsewhere in the New Testament? Uh, Galatians 3, it says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God, for it is evident the righteous will live by faith. This is a gospel truth. The gospel is the way the righteousness of God is revealed. And here's how you want to see this first and second section. The first section, the gospel is revealed. All that is needed for eternal life is found in the gospel. You can see everything you need for eternal life in the gospel. Now this next section, Paul talks about the wrath of God is revealed. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed. What is needed to bring about eternal judgment is seen all around us. And this passage is going to show that all the things around us reveal that the wrath of God uh, is here and God is right to judge in his wrath, okay? Uh, Here's the message. God is not indifferent towards those who do not live by faith, verse 17. He is not indifferent to those who reject that message. Rather, he is exceedingly angry at those who reject the message. If you reject the message... Of verse 17, the righteous will live by faith. God is exceedingly angry at you. That is what this next section deals with. The anger of God is against those who reject the righteousness of God by faith. So this whole section shows us why we need the saving righteousness of God so badly. Because if you don't have the saving righteousness of God, you are under the wrath of God. If you miss the boat of verse 17, you are under the wrath of God of God. So I want to read this whole section to you. Verse 18 uh, through the end of the chapter. So verse 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his Eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, having been understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function For that which is unnatural, and in the same way also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although the right, although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Point number one, God is angry at all who don't believe. Point number one, God is angry at all who don't believe. You'll see this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Best translated, for the wrath of God is being revealed, presently and continually, ongoing. It has been ongoing in the past, it is ongoing now, and it will continue to ongo. He's not talking about just the past, and a time when he might have poured out his wrath on certain people, or just the future, looking towards the eternal wrath. He's not talking about the end times wrath, when you're condemned either in hell or sent to heaven. He's talking his wrath of God is revealed now. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. This is not a a judgment that comes about uh, from human effort, humans judging each other, or even the natural effects of the fall. Sin just running its course. It's not that judgment. It is a divine judgment coming down from heaven. God is angry, and he is pouring out his wrath. Now, who are the objects of this wrath? It is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Of men who suppress the truth. So it's those who are irreverent, have no fear of God, and it is those who are unrighteous. They love wrongdoing, they love law breaking, they break God's laws. So it's against these people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So they know the truth, they know it's true in their mind, they know it's true in their soul, yet they suppress it. They try to, to cram it down. They they try to make it small and go away to the back of their minds. And they do this in unrighteousness. They cover it up with their deeds. They cover it up with the lust of the flesh, the, the joys of life. They cover it up. They suppress it. They put it out of their mind, far down inside themselves. They suppress the truth. What you got to understand from verse 18 is that God is not merely disapproving of these people. God is angry. He's furious at these people. He is incensed at these people. Those who reject the call, the righteous will live by faith. God is angry. He's not warning them of disobedience. He's punishing them for disobedience. His wrath is being poured out. This is not a warning. This is an outpouring of wrath. And you're going to see how this plays out. So again, summarizing point number one, God is angry and he is revealing his wrath on those who do not believe. But you might ask, why is God so, so angry, right? There are some people who are even fairly moral, who who contribute to society, who, 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 who stand up for orphans and widows even, who help the lowest among society. And you even have more so people who have never heard the gospel. What about the people in the jungle who have never heard the gospel of God? What about people who don't have a Bible translation in their language? How can you be angry at them? The question is, is God really angry at all people? The answer to that is yes. And you'll see that here in this next section. This is not an anger at those who haven't heard the gospel. This is an anger at those who have rejected God. Main point two God is right to be angry at all who don't believe. God is right to be angry, meaning God is justified. He is, he's correct. He's not wrong. He's not unjust. He's actually right to be angry at everyone who doesn't believe, okay? The primary reason is because they know God. Every person knows God. Look at verse 19. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. We'll keep going. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Every person here knows about God. And it is not some mystical knowledge. Every person in the world knows about God. It's not some mystical knowledge. It's not some, I got a special vision from God. It's not I got a, a, a dream or a revelation or even someone told me about God. It's not that God somehow spoke to you. It's not some deep hidden knowledge like in my heart of hearts I know about God. This is a knowledge of God which can be seen in creation. Okay, Paul is saying creation itself is evidence enough to hold men accountable. Every person knows that God exists and that he ought to be worshipped. This is not just from this passage. In Psalm 19, verse 1. One to six. it says, "The heavens are telling continually of the glory of God, and the expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are their words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which, as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber, it rejoices as a strong man to run his course. It's rising from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. Okay? Every day, God's glory is on display simply through the sky and the course of the sun. You can see that there is a God and that His glory is being shown if you saw the sunrise this morning. If when you go out of here, you see the sun in the sky and you see the sunset tonight, God's glory is on display. In Isaiah 6, the one... One angel calls out to another and says, Isaiah six verse three, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Meaning the entire world is filled with the glory of God. All of creation is showing the glory of God. Jeremiah five, twenty one through twenty two. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but not hear, do you not fear me, declares the Lord, do you not tremble before me? I place the sand as the boundary for the sea, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. Though the waves toss, they cannot prevail. Though they roar, they cannot pass over it. It is obvious God has created all things. Talk about uh, the beach. We, We even heard about that up in first service. The boundaries of the sea. He says, though the wave, a perpetual barrier that it cannot pass. He sets the sand as the boundary for the sea. When you stand on the ocean and you look out and you see this vast body of water where you can't see the end of it, a massive thing where if it turns into waves, you can't stop it. It does what it wants, yet there is a boundary to it, the sand of the sea, that it doesn't go any further. That screams creator. That is not random. That is not natural. It is screaming creator. God set the boundaries in place. You can see from creation all around you that there is a God. And he is different than you. He is more powerful than you. And you ought to give him glory. It's obvious the world didn't come about by random chance. Creation proclaims it. Uh, Schreiner commentates, God has stitched his greatness into the very fabric of of the human mind so that his majesty is instinctively recognized when one views the created world. Meaning that God created your mind in such a way that when you see creation, you know there's a God. Every person, when they see creation, knows that there's a God. Verse 20, back in Romans. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood through what has been made. Being understood, you understood so that they are without excuse. Okay? God has placed it in your mind that when you look at creation, you know God exists, every one of us, me, you, every person in the world. So the first reason God's wrath is justified is because creation proclaims God's glory, and this holds men to account. I don't know who you are or where you come from, but I do know this about you. If you have seen creation, which you have, you know that God exists. And because you have seen creation, you are held accountable to him. You know he's worthy of your worship and your glory, and you will be held accountable. The second reason God's wrath is justified. Man has failed to glorify God and give thanks. Verses 21 through 23. For even though they knew God... They did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. When man looks around at creation and he sees the glory of God and he knows he ought to glorify him and worship him, because he's so much above you. Instead, he has suppressed the truth. And decided to do an exchange where he doesn't glorify God. He glorifies man and idols instead. He suppresses the truth. Three ways he talks about this foolishness, Paul does. In verse 21, they became futile in their thinking. In other words, worthless in their thinking. Foolish in heart. They have no understanding. They're void of understanding. The heart talking the mind void of understanding, professing to be wise, they became fools. For those who see creation and yet reject God, suppress that truth, he's saying, you're futile in mind and you are a fool. You think you're wise, you think you've outsmarted God in some way, but what you've really done is you've taken the good things of this world, the beauty of creation, how the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the good things in life, families, food, all of it. And you don't give glory to God, and you don't give thanks to God. And instead, you turn to idolatry. Verse 23, And exchange the glory of incorruptible God for an image of the like, in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals, And crawling creatures. Effectively, this is a breaking of the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You replace this first love, this love which should dominate you, with something else. You give glory to the creature rather than the creator. You've missed the entire purpose of life. What is the chief end of man? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And they reject this. They devote their life to serving the creature instead of the creator. God, who is incorruptible, says in verse 23, for the glory of the incorruptible God, the God who does not change, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who is eternal, the one who says he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The incorruptible God who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, meaning he knows all things, is powerful over all things, and is in all places at all times. Who controls the hearts of kings, turning them wherever he wills. The one who, when kings and nations join together against him in Psalm 2, he laughs at them because he realizes they're futile in their efforts against him. This incorruptible God, they've exchanged the glory of him, and rather they reject this God, they claim to be wise, and they say, I won't glorify him, I'll glorify the creature instead. The creature who is corruptible, verse 23, the image of the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and animals and creatures. Corruptible man and creatures. Man whose days are, what, 70? Maybe 80 if due to strength. Whose, whose days are like grass, which the wind blows away. Man who was literally formed out of the dust. And as Job says, from dust I came, from dust I shall return. Creatures who walk on all fours. And others, these last set in verse 23, and crawling creatures, meaning reptiles, the ones who crawl on their stomachs. Man whose knowledge and power are so limited able to be washed away in an instant. You don't know how long you will live or your life. And yet, what do these people do who claim to be wise? They say, I'll reject God, but I'll worship man. I'll worship the creature. I'll worship the created. Foolishness. It's really an issue of idolatry. Idolatry of the heart. Anything you love more than God. These people see God, they know He's true, and yet they refuse to bow the knee because they'd rather love other things instead. They'd rather love status. They'd rather, they, they love the things of the earth, the people, whether it be even a relationship. They love the glory given to themselves. They live for that instead, where the focus of life is on your own achievements. Man makes this exchange. And he thinks it's wise. Verse 23, And they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man. They make this exchange. They suppress the truth. They know God is worthy of worship. They know he's worthy of glory. But they choose not to glorify him or give thanks. And instead, they glorify the creature. God is justified in pouring out his wrath on these idolaters. Summary of point number two, God is right in revealing his wrath because man has rejected what is known about God through creation and has worshipped idols instead of the living God. We haven't even talked about the gospel, but God is justified to pour out his wrath because you have suppressed the truth of creation and worshipped idols instead of the living God. And that leads us to point number three. Starting in verse 24, God's point number three, God's anger is currently on display in the world in those who don't believe. God's anger is currently on display in the world in those who don't believe. For those who are not part of the righteous who live by faith, back in verse 17, who have rejected God through creation... And worship idols instead, God's wrath is being poured out on them. It has been poured out on the past, and it is continuing to be poured out now. Verse 18: For the wrath of God is being revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Now, you need to understand what he means here by wrath of God. Because when it talks about wrath of God in the Bible, it can talk about a couple different things. Uh, God is the one pouring out wrath, but what is the form this wrath takes? Uh, probably the first one that comes to mind is eternal wrath, right? You understand that eternally when God judges, at the end of the age, those who are saved, who are in Christ, will go to heaven, and those who are not will experience God's wrath in hell for eternity. That's uh, eternal wrath, or uh, eschatological wrath, as theologians may call it, okay? That's wrath of God at the end, and it's a wrath of God that is intense, For all eternity. That's not what he's talking about here. Another kind uh, that may be known is the calamitous wrath. Calamitous wrath basically being in massive events, uh, and you've seen these in your Bible, such as the flood. When God wanted to judge the earth, he poured out his wrath in the form of a flood. You see it on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? When these people were deep into sin, God pours out his wrath on them, and he actually has fire come down from heaven, right? Uh, so this is calamitous wrath. It's not that either. There's also consequential wrath, which is basically a principle of you will reap what you sow. Okay, You want to sow sin, you want to sow unrighteousness, you will reap the consequences of that. And it's a form of God's wrath. If you sin, you will get the consequences of that. It's not talking about this either. What we are looking at here uh, is what many people call God's wrath of abandonment. God's wrath of abandonment. And this is the wrath God often uses to judge people, nations, and groups. Now, what do I mean by God's wrath of abandonment? Well, first, I want to show you where I got it. Okay? It's spotted three times in this passage, three main phrases of these next couple verses. Okay? Listen in. You're going to see it by, God gave them over. Saying, I'm going to abandon You want it? I'm going to give it to you. He's going to abandon them. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their flesh to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature and the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's number one. Number two, for this reason God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burning their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent act, and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their sins. Now the third one, 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and he goes on with the list. Okay? God gives them over, these people. This is what we're talking about, God's wrath of abandonment. So there's three different sections. You see it happen three times. God gave them over. We're going to look at each one of those three. So the first kind, verse 24, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity that their bodies would be dishonored among themselves. Okay. It says, therefore. Verse 24, what is it referring back to? It's referring back to the fact you have suppressed the truth of God, you have rejected him, As creator, you have exchanged it, glorifying him for glorifying idols. It says, therefore, God gave you over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity. He's not infusing anything into their hearts. He's saying, the lust that you have in your hearts, I'm going to let it run wild. I will let it go rampant. I will not hold it back anymore. What is this? This is basically a sexual revolution. They act like animals here, which makes sense. God gives them exactly what they want. They want to worship the creature rather than the creator. God lets them act as animals. Animals are not given in marriage or committed to a partner. There is no honor in the love life of an animal. And animals are dominated by their feelings and the urges of the flesh. The strongest passion and desire, this is what they do. You want to act like a creature... Here, act like an animal. I will give you over to this. I won't restrain. I will let you have your fill. It's quite interesting how starkly this contrasts the created design. In Genesis 2, God creates marriage and sexuality and what love is supposed to look like. And in Genesis 2, verse 24, it says, "...for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife." and they shall become one flesh. This is the way of holiness. Couples who are committed to each other. That is the way of holiness. That is the way of happiness. God has them feel the pain of rejecting this. He lets them go against the created order. Understand, this is not just God giving them over only to their flesh, but it's divine judgment. This isn't that they just indulge in the flesh. God is giving them over. God is the actor here. God is giving these people over to lust of the flesh. He's taking away all restraints. So, in summary, the first step of abandonment is basically a sexual revolution. There's no longer marriage, it's just kind of a free for all. Takes that away. Now, the second step, 26 through 27. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, for their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also males abandon the natural function of the female and burn in their desire toward one another, males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What is this? These are now homosexual desires. No longer is it just uh, man with woman, but no marriage. Now it's saying man with man and woman with woman. The levels of wrath are increasing, But do realize that it's not that sin has levels of deserved punishment. Okay? One sin is worthy of death. Many sins has the same punishment worthy of death. One small ounce of pride in the heart is just as worthy to be condemned for eternity as any of these sins. For the wages of sin is death. But what is increasing even further is their violation of basic human order. Go back to that passage in Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. First, they, they reject the created order of one man and one woman. Now they reject the, the order of man and woman. Now it's man and man and woman and woman. They are, God has given them over where they can't even live in the most basic way in which God has created. He's created man for a woman, and now he's given them over where they don't even obey this. There's an interesting wordplay here. Verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You want to exchange the truth of God for a lie? What is the result? For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions, and their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Just one big downward spiral you reject God, he is now handing you over to the lust of the flesh. Now we get to the end of verse 27 in the same way also uh, males committing indecent acts and in receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. What exactly does this refer to? I do not know it doesn't say. but what is clear is that these shameless acts that go so far against the created order, are the source of this due penalty, the due penalty of their error. They, these errors that they have now indulged in bring about due penalty. Okay, when you go against the created, basic created order of God, and He hands you over to these passions, it will bring about disaster every time. It can bring about disease. Many more diseases are prevalent. In communities where it's not one man and one woman, and even more so where it's not man with woman, but it's man with man or woman with woman. Disease are multiple times more likely. Suicide rates are also up. Why? Not because these people are less. It's because when sin goes to the level where you reject all order of God, it brings about disaster every time. It always has disastrous results. God is not doing a miracle uh, to infect these people or cause them to even contemplate suicide or any other errors, that the due penalties that come of these errors. Rather, it's the natural outcome of their unnatural lifestyle. You live unnaturally, it will bring disastrous consequences. Okay? Uh, In summary, when the creation order is rejected, uh, the sins of the... and the wrath of God continues to be poured out. So the second step is a homosexual revolution. Now the final step, the third one, verse 28 through 31. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper. Having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanders, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. So now God's gone even further and he says, I'll give you over to an unfit mind where your intellect is worthless, where your sin is now blinding you to the realities of life. What is this final step? You can call this a debased mind, an unfit mind, a useless mind. This is step three. Here's the final step. And it's interesting here, if you look here at verse 29, what does this look like, this debased mind, to do these things which are not proper? Having been filled with all unrighteousness. So these people already have unrighteousness. They're already full of unrighteousness. You go back to verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. He's already against it, of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. These men are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And the final act is that God fills them up with unrighteousness. Do you know, like a cup, cup of water, how full, if I have a cup that's almost to the top and like you set it out for dinner, is that a full cup of water? Yes, it's at the top. Like you just leave that little bit so you can drink, you can carry it around, it doesn't spill. That's almost what I'm picturing here, where these people are full of unrighteousness. And now this last step is God said, I'll just fill you up. That little bit at the top, I'll fill it all the way to the top where it's now overflowing. You are full of unrighteousness. And having been filled with all unrighteousness, no more restraints. Not just some, which helps to suppress the truth, but all. There's 21 different categories. Just listen to them. Paul is unleashing. All his vocabulary that he has to describe ungodliness and unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, envy, full of evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. This is a full-blown moral collapse, a full-blown moral implosion. There is divine judgment has run its full course and things are just getting worse and worse and worse. But does this lead to repentance? It doesn't lead to any repentance. Read verse 32. And although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who do them. Now they just keep suppressing it all the more. They still know the truth of God. They even know the judgment of God, that if you live this way, you live in your sin, and you don't repent, you will be judged. That if they don't bow the knee to the Creator, they will be judged, yet they do not care. The judgment is ignored. The rules are redefined. Verse 32, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them they give approval. Things that were once bad are now good. Greed, now call it looking out for yourself. Murder, call it my body, my choice. Strife, call it standing up for injustice. Uh, Violent, call it a a protest. Arrogant, call it like earned, not given. I I put in the work for it. Disobedient to parents, parents are old-fashioned. Right, You redefine the categories. The things that are evil and they know are evil, they now give hearty approval of those to do them. They call evil good. And it goes on and on and on. This evil in the culture is now celebrated. And this is the conclusion of God's wrath of abandonment. First one was a sexual revolution. Second was a homosexual revolution. Third is a debased mind, which leads to all manners of unrighteousness. It's just a free-for-all of unrighteousness. And now it's not only accomplished, but celebrated. There's no shame. They call it good. They give hearty approval to those who do them. So what do we learn about God's wrath from this passage? One, it's being constantly poured out by those who reject God. And how does he do this? He abandons them over to their own sinful natures, taking away the restraints on sin. Uh, The eternal wrath is not yet here. Okay, The eternal wrath of judgment on these people is not yet here. But do not mistake someone who is not under the eternal wrath, meaning they haven't died yet. Do not mistake that for God's approval, no matter what their life looks like. Don't mistake that for God's approval. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him, dwells on him, remains on him. For those who do not obey the Son, don't believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides on these people. It's not, it's abandonment now, and it's eternal wrath that will come at the point of death. It's a heavy passage, but I want you to take away two main applications. The first one, it should inform your worldview a lot. You get to see how the world works, how sin spirals. It's a very clear lens through which you can see the world as a whole. You can see the country of America. You can see even the city of Los Angeles. You can even see it in those around you who are not believers, or if you yourself are not a believer, you can see it. It's not The wrath of God is not evidenced by mortars coming down from the sky or necessarily an invading army, uh, killing the people. It's, in this instance, it's evidenced by the Lord giving you over to your desires as you suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. you want to suppress the truth, he will give you over to these sins. Do you see this around you? A sexual revolution. I don't need to expound on this. You guys see it all around you. It's everywhere. I don't need to go into detail a homosexual revolution. I was trying to watch Monday Night Football the other week. And next thing you know, there's this guy who came out as homosexual, I guess, and they had to celebrate him. They had to talk about how it was brave and this coming out. It was a celebration. You see that on TV now. You see it, if you are on those social media things, you should just get rid of them. But you see them, the he, him, her, they, them, the, the debaseness of that, they, them, like that's for plural. That's for multiple people. And I guess that's a thing now, too. But it's everywhere. You are what you want to say. It's also a debased mind. You self-identify what you want to be. There is no more created order. It's all just whatever you want to be. It's an abandonment of science while claiming to be wise. It's calling good evil. It's called my body, my choice. To save lives. They're mad about a law that would not allow you to take life. And that this is evil. They call good evil and they celebrate evil. They call evil good. The 21 areas of sin that we talked about. Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip. You see it all around and not only do you see it, you see it celebrated. Again, the, the football illustration, the abortion illustration, where they protest these bans of abortion and celebrate the fact that they have had them. Untrustworthy. Outside of the scriptures, what can you trust today? In this world? Like what, what do you know is like actually true? That isn't a conspiracy theory, that isn't it hasn't been fact checked. Like, how do you know what's actually true? where one source says it's true another source says it's not true. They're untrustworthy, boastful. I mean, I'm in the sports world. Every action is celebrated, every level of sports. It's all about me, 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 me. The world, America, has gone through the full cycle of God's wrath of abandonment. See it for what it is. You have a clear grid of what it looks like when people suppress the truth of God. It should also give you a little bit of insight how you think about the world. Do you need a new president to fix this? No. Do you need a new, a better economy? No. Do you need anything else? What you need is people to stop suppressing the truth and believe in Christ. That is what you need. I hope you got a lot out of this uh, passage, but the second point is that this passage is not just for those out there. It's not just for those out there. This isn't meant for you to sit back and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like those people. I can see them for what they are. God is angry at those who haven't heard the gospel because they reject him in creation and they reject him by not glorifying him. All they have is general revelation. They don't even have the gospel and God still has a right to be angry with them. You have seen from this passage how the wrath of God is poured out upon these people. But also if you sit here today and and this isn't your first week, there's only three of you who come in the last month, you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. You not only have the general revelation creation which screams about God, you have the revelation of Jesus Christ, who has made a way for sinners to be reconciled, how the righteous shall live by faith, the first part of Romans. Verse 17, "The righteous will live by faith. Jesus' life, his death, His resurrection, the great exchange, how you can get His righteousness, He takes your sin. You're no longer innocent You're not just innocent, but you're righteous before God and adopted into His family how you can have all these things, and the man out in the middle of the jungle who's never heard him has never heard the gospel. Both are rightly under the judgment of God, but how much more are you if you still reject God's call to repent? You not only have general, you also have the special revelation of Jesus Christ crucified. Hebrews 10 talks just about this. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fire of fury which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy by the mouth of one or two two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will deserve, who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as defiled the blood of the covenant, by which he was sanctified... And has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But then you skip down five verses, verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Don't reject the Son of God. The wrath that is coming when you die, is not a wrath of abandonment. It's an eternal wrath experienced in hell for eternity. We're a thousand years in, 10,000 years in, you're no closer to the end of it than you are at the beginning. Where the intensity of the wrath does not let up after 10,000 years, it stays the same. It's still full throttle. The moral chaos that you see around you in the world is only a taste of what is to come and it should lead you to repent and turn back to your creator. The only solution you have is found back in verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. Believe in Christ. Turn from your sins. Live by faith. Trust in Christ for salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it is true and trustworthy, how it gives us a grid to look at life, how it tells us all we need to know about life and godliness, and how it tells us about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for those here who are believers, you would strengthen their faith, and for anyone here who's not a believer, that they would, you would work in their heart, they would feel the urge to repent and turn from their sins, knowing that the moral chaos they see them or around them is only a taste of what is to come. May they give glory to you as the creator, God. We ask these things in your name, amen.